You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Well, good morning. Good to see you all. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Josh, the pastor here at Praxis. And if you weren't with us at Christmas, big warm welcome to the new home of Praxis Church here at the Rotary Center. Very excited to be in here. If you haven't already, go ahead, grab your Bibles. You're going to need your Bible. If you don't have one, we have some in the lobby, some blue ones. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. Additionally, you can just pull out your device. You could type in Proverbs 1 and these three letters, ESV, and that'll bring you right to the translation we're in. You'll be able to track along that way. Um, While you do that, let me open us in a word of prayer. Father, I I thank you for this time to gather as we begin the new year and reflect back on your glory, who you are, your character, your goodness towards us. And as we open this word this morning, I'm just praying gratitude for it, that you, the God of the universe, have self-revealed. You have spoken to us. You've written down by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit scriptures to teach us, to train us, to guide us. And as we begin this series in the book of Proverbs, we pray, and I I plead, Holy Spirit, would you come make these words come alive in our hearts and minds? We need you. We need the instruction that your word provides. And I just pray for your spirit's presence now as we open your word. We pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, if you've got your Bibles open, great. And hopefully you got one of these on the way in, our new sermon series books. Um, In the very first page of it, if you open it up, there's a space to write your name. We put a a lot of work into producing these. These cost a fair bit to produce, but we really think there's a lot of value in them. But we we love it when we don't find 15 of them laying around after. Um, So if you can, write your name in, and then we'll know who to return them to. If we do find them, maybe your phone number, um, anything like that, yeah, go ahead and do that. Uh, Proverbs, one of my favorite books of the Bible, um, easily. Even in my season of running from the Lord, I I would turn here often. Um, There was... Um, periods where I was still reading through one proverb a day. And it's, it's quite a unique feature of the book of Proverbs is that they, there is one of them per day. And they're an easy place to drop in. Many people, as they first kind of dive into the Bible, especially if they're getting into the Old Testament, this is the first place they will go because it's very accessible. It's very practical. You don't need to know the whole storyline of the Bible. You can kind of dip in and get stuff out of it. It's a great book. Um, and if you open your book up, you'll find the first half of it. We've created 31 chapters to go along with the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Each one of these chapters, there's some study questions, some things to help you get a little bit more out of each chapter of Proverbs. And I would encourage you, as we go through the series, do that. Try to read through just one proverb a day. It takes about five minutes. If you want to dive in a little deeper, the book's got some content for that. But you'll get way more out of the series if you're doing that. And um, hopefully the book is a help for you. There's a bunch of other stuff in this book that we put in here. But one thing is missing from the book. Anyone noticed it yet? Page numbers, yeah. And that's because I made the book. And uh, I produced this book on a week off in October. And uh, when I sent it to the publishers and reviewed the proof, um, we found my weakness. For some, so there's an index with all the page numbers. I went to great length, but forgot to put them in the book. So. Um, I have no one else to blame for that. I used to be able to blame Colin. This one's all on me, church. Um, Yeah, we've subtitled this series, Ancient Wisdom for Today. 
And we're going to spend uh, a couple weeks working through the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. But what we're going to do for this series is we're going to take a look at some of the topics that Proverbs provides wisdom for. And there's a, there's a variety of them, everything from work and parenting and finances and anger and, and, and many other topics. And what we're going to do is we're going to survey the entirety of the book of Proverbs and pull out the wisdom on those topics. That's how we're going to kind of chip through the series. And so as we begin a new year and as we begin a new series, my challenge to you is this, is to take a second and think back over the year that's happened. Not the highlight reel. I want you to go back into the, the messy moments, the challenging times, the work frustrations, the interpersonal dynamics that kept you up at night. Think back over your year and all of those areas where you'd love to have change this coming year where you'd, you'd like to gain some wisdom for the coming year. This is the question I want to open the series is, with, pardon me, is where do you need wisdom? Where do you need wisdom? Maybe you're wondering, what kind of man or woman I should marry? Or what kind of career should I get into? How should I invest my money? Or, let's be real, okay, where do I get money um, in today's day and age? All of us need wisdom. If we're going to bring change, if we're going to grow, if our situations are going to change, we're going to need wisdom. And this is because what, what we're doing is we're becoming more and more of what we already are. We're becoming more and more of what we already are. Our way of thinking affects our outcomes. And so if we want different outcomes, we need to insert something in to change things up. Like just use some computer, a computer coding example. Computers are producing the results that the code is written for, and, and our code, so to speak, is producing a lot of our results, and so if we want to bring change, we need to insert new wisdom, new code into that. We need something from outside of ourselves. It's not going to come from here. It needs to come from outside us. That's what wisdom is, and this is why Proverbs 4 opens saying this. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. If you want to get wise, you need to Get wisdom, and it sounds like it's contradictory. What it's pointing out is that we need something from outside ourselves, and it needs to get inside of us. If we want change, we need to get wisdom, but this is not an easy task. This, this takes work. To quote the Stoic philosopher Seneca, he said, wisdom comes haphazardly to no man. It's going to take some work. This is where the book of Proverbs comes in handy. It's wisdom passed down from Solomon, who's often referred to as the wisest man who ever lived. Up on the screen, 1 Kings 4, Solomon, it says here, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and the, wise, or the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all other men. His fame was in all the surrounding nations. He came and people from all nations came to hear his wisdom. You might wonder, how did he get so wise? One chapter earlier in 1 Kings, God comes to Solomon in a dream. And he, and he says, um, 1 Kings 3 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon, and God asked him, What should I give you? What should I give you? And if God showed up in my, your dream or my dream and said, What should I give you? We might ask for a lot of things. Riches, power, the perfect beach bod, uh, power of flight. Who knows? But what Solomon asked for he asked for wisdom. He said, give me wisdom to rule your people. And then if you're a student of the scripture, you know, he got a lot more than that. God blessed him because he was pleased with this request of Solomon's. 
If you have your Bible open, take a look down. We see the very first line of Proverbs. It says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. The wisest man who'd ever lived then wrote these down. And if you drop down to verse 8, what you'll see is that we find out who it's addressed to. He says, hear my son. Proverbs is, is an anthology of wisdom of sorts addressed from a father down to a son. 23 times in the book of Proverbs, we'll see phrases like, keep my words, my son, hear my son, hear my instruction, be wise, my son, because it's Solomon writing to his son, who's one day going to become a king in his place. And so it is, in a way, a training manual for a king, which is an interesting feature of this book. Wisdom written down and compiled for a young man. And this is because, if we're honest, young men need wisdom a little bit more than young women, right? We, we get ourselves in a little bit more trouble. We need a little bit more outside instruction. We need guidance if we're not going to turn into complete fools. We need a couple other things. We need a soft head and a soft heart, too, if we're going to be able to receive it. Um, the text tells us it's the Proverbs of Solomon, um, but there's more in here as well, actually. If you were to go to chapter 25, what you'll see is that it's written there that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, which Hezekiah, king of Judah, recorded. So later on in the book, Hezekiah, who's a king generations after Solomon, he comes along, he's gathered some more sayings of Solomon that Solomon didn't initially write down, as well as a couple other guys, Agar and some other wise men of the time, and, and he kind of does a bit of an addition and a republish of the book of Proverbs, which tells us something else really interesting that I like, is that this isn't just a book written for <coughs> Solomon's son, it's written for all sons of God, all daughters of God. This is a book for all of us. It's a book on how to live well and wisely in God's good world. And that's interesting because, and I'll put Bruce Waltke up on the screen, a theologian, author. He said this, the world tells us to live and learn. The Bible, instead, it does this. It, tell, it teaches us to learn to live. Two different approaches. The book of Proverbs is designed to help us learn to live, and it does this through a whole bunch of proverbs that it presents to us. If you're wondering what a proverb is, it's kind of a, um, you could think of it this way, it's wisdom's sound bites. They're little, um, some have called them pithy sayings, little um, condensed little collections of wisdom, and we all probably grew up hearing proverbs of some sort. They there, there's more proverbs than are just written down in this book. There's lots of cultural proverbs. Let me see if you know these ones. An apple a day keeps the, the doctor away. Right. Don't judge a book by its silence is. Yeah, okay, so we know some proverbs. They're wisdom sound bites. Now, with that said, this doesn't mean there isn't some exceptions to these, these rules. We know sometimes an apple doesn't keep the doctor away. Right? Sometimes the cover of the book does tell a lot about the book. Sometimes, yes, silence is golden, but if you're a parent, you know, silence is also very suspicious. <laughs> Proverbs convey wisdom, but it's, it doesn't mean there might not be exceptions. And I'll give you another example right from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22, we read, train a child up in the way they should go, and in the end they won't depart from it. Well, many people, especially older saints in the room, you've raised children up. And, you know, some of you, unfortunately, you've got a wayward child, and maybe they will come back in the end, but sometimes they don't. It's because th what this is, is this is not giving um, guaranteed promises per se. These proverbs are guiding principles. 
guiding principles to teach us how to live right and well, not guaranteed promises. In this book, there is over 900 proverbs. Um, the largest concentration of these is from chapter 10 onward. And the back 21 chapters from chapter 10 to 20, or 31, pardon me, contain the bulk of these. And they're kind of all just piled together. It's like they all got thrown in a drawer and shaken around. Um, so each chapter, as you read a chapter a day, you'll get wisdom on all sorts of stuff, but they're not arranged topically. The first 10 chapters of the book, or nine, are a little bit more linear in their, the way they present themselves. And if we wanted to, we could go line by line through the first nine books or chapters of this book. We're not going to do that, though. What we're going to do is, we're gonna, I've already said, we're going to kind of take a look at the larger compilation of wisdom in this book. But to begin this series, I want to spend a bit of time in this first chapter, probably this week and next. Today, what I want to look at is the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. So with your Bibles open again. I'll just read it in entirety because we didn't do a reading on the front end. Then we'll chip away through it a little bit by bit. It says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." See, that, that's enough scripture for one day. That's why we're only doing seven verses. So much in there. But what we're told in verse one, that they were written by Solomon, but then verse two goes on to tell us why he wrote them. The goal of his writing, if you will, or to put it differently, the benefits of this book. And I pulled out six. You might find more, but I'm going to show you six benefits Solomon says reading this will have. The first is this, that we will know wisdom. That's his goal. We would know wisdom. It's right there in verse two to know wisdom. And this type of knowing that Proverbs refers to here, it's not an abstract type of knowing like this. I mean, like, I know Jeremy Clarkson. Anyone else know Jeremy Clarkson? Yeah, okay, so it's because I've watched all of Top Gear, all of Clarkson's farm multiple times. I know the guy, but I don't know, know Jeremy Clarkson. And this text, it's referring to no knowing knowing intimately. When Solomon states that the goal is that we would know wisdom, it's communicating this idea that the reader would become deeply and intimately acquainted with wisdom, not just know the sayings of the Proverbs, but intimately and experientially, we would know them. To know wisdom and instruction, goes on to say, and to understand the words of insight. This is the second benefit, that we would gain understanding. Through reading this um, instruction, the reader will gain understanding if they're engaged. It's not going to happen to us passively. We learn some lessons through going through experiences, but if we're going to learn the lessons of Proverbs and gain understanding from them, we're going to need to actively seek to understand. So in the ESV, the, the version we're reading, it says in the back half of verse 2 that, we would understand words of insight, but I like the New American Standard Bible on this. It translates it from the original Hebrew into English this way, saying that we would discern the sayings of understanding. 
the Hebrew here, it's, it's communicating this idea of truly grasping and comprehending, getting beneath the surface and thinking deeply about what's being communicated here. The third benefit of the proverb Solomon lists here, it's in verse 3, is to receive instruction. He says, to receive instruction in wise dealing. And this word instruction has a deeper meaning as well. Most of these Hebrew words are just too complex to kind of slap into one English word. In Hebrew, this word instruction refers to discipline <coughs> or, or correction. It's corrective instruction. And this is an important note because to get the wisdom of Proverbs, catch this, we need to be corrected. Not just instructed with new wisdom, but we need our old, faulty, failing wisdom to be corrected and pointed out. And we all have this. We all have, I said at the beginning, we've got a set of instructions that are producing our results. Where we see the shortcomings and those frustrating moments, that's because of faulty wisdom. Proverbs we need, tells us we need to be corrected so that we can know wisdom, gain understanding, receive instruction. And then the fourth thing it tells us we can gain from the Proverbs or benefit is by gaining prudence. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. It's the goal of it. This word prudence, as you read through Proverbs, you're going to see it come up a lot. It's a, it's a great word. I love it. We gave it um, as a second name to my daughter, Winsome Prudence, because I, I love this name. Prudence means the ability to govern and discipline yourself for wisdom or by wisdom. Great. The, he, Solomon says these will give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. <laughs> to be prudent is the opposite of, of being simple. The simple lack wisdom, the prudent embody it. One commentator translated verse 4 this way. I liked it. Uh, it's not an official translation, but this is one Hebrew scholar translating this into English. He said this, that Proverbs gives to the gullible ones shrewdness and to the youth knowledge and planning skill. The benefit of the Proverbs are that when we properly engage with them, they can transform us from gullible people into shrewd ones, from naive youth lacking knowledge to people who, who possess it. But as we read on, we're going to see there's more benefits. Verse 5, it says, the wise will hear an increase in learning. It's our fifth benefit. Notice this, okay? Note, this is an important one, and maybe pull your pencil out and underline it. How, does, how do you increase learning, according to that verse? Through hearing. The wise hear and increase their learning. Now, We've probably all met people who assume they're wise, and so they don't listen. We've, I mean, anyone met anyone else? They don't listen because they know everything, right? They'll cut you off with, I know, before you've even finished what you're, you're going to say. They're not knowledgeable. They're proud. Notice what this is saying. The wise are not marked by knowing everything. They're marked by the fact they listen. Fools think they know everything already. You could be the smartest person in the world and still biblically considered a fool if you don't listen. The mark of a wise person is listen. The mark of a foolish person is they don't. The text elaborates on this a little bit more later on. Actually, drop down to seven. Look at it. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the mark of a fool. The mark of a wise man, 
they listen. Being wise has less to do with our IQ and more to do with what we do with our mouth and our ears. Proverbs 26, 12, it says this, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. We're going to need to admit that we need wisdom if we're going to get it. And if we can, if we can overcome our foolish pride, there's something else here on offer in the book of Proverbs. We see it in verse 5. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. There's on hand for us here guidance. As we begin to think differently, this will and should result in us walking differently. The wisdom that Proverbs imparts is meant to guide us. This book opens telling us these six things are on offer in the book of Proverbs, and it also tells us how we can obtain them. It tells us the path to receive them. It comes by way of hearing. It comes by way of seeking. But there is one other thing that is absolutely essential to obtaining the wisdom the book of Proverbs have. And this could be a seventh point, to be fair. I didn't put it up there, but it's in verse 7. Take a look. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Or sorry, of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you were to cook all the wisdom of this book down and kind of put it together in just one sentence, I think this would be it. I think this is the cornerstone of the whole book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But why? Why is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge? It's a big, thick theological statement. And we're going to kind of have to cut into it if we want to understand all that it's presenting. Because it's it's making some big claims. And if we want to see that, I think what we need to do is we need to understand some terminology here. So I, I think we need to understand knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. They all get used in Proverbs, but they're not synonymous. They're a little different. Up on the screen, the first definition here of knowledge tells us it's the accumulation of facts and data through studying, research, and observation by experiences. Understanding is defined as this. The ability to translate meaning from facts and to apply it. And then wisdom is the ability to make judgments and choices based off of that knowledge and understanding. You see, they, they, work, they work together. To know is not to be wise. Many men know lots of things. They're not wise. You can know things and, and then not understand the outcomes. And, and you can even understand some of the outcomes but not have wisdom. You, you, can even have, you can have all of these and not wisdom because you don't understand how they all work together. They build off each other, and you can't have wisdom without first having understanding. You can't have understanding without first having knowledge. And Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the first piece in that chain. Let me try to explain. Most people here in the room will know what a cloud is. Clouds, we all know what they are, but while we know what they are, we might not understand how different clouds are formed or or which ones deliver precipitation. I'm not sure the weathermen do either, to be perfectly fair. But there's probably some here who also do understand how they function, that there's four types of clouds, cirro, cumulus, stratus, and nimbus clouds. Anyone ever heard that before? Four types of clouds. You could know that. You could have the understanding of that, even of which type of cloud in that mix of four is, will, produces 
precipitation, which is indicative of high-pressure systems and low-pressure systems, which ones are positively charged and negatively charged. You could know all of those things. You could have that knowledge and that understanding and still not have the wisdom to know which one of those isn't safe to fly an aircraft through because these are different things. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom are related but different, and they're progressive, and you can't get to wisdom without first having understanding and first having knowledge. Now again, take a look at verse 7 with me and what it says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That first building block. Massive statement. It says, the fear of the Lord is essential to getting both wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, but how can it make such an audacious statement? It's because it's the Lord who made everything. You can have knowledge of the world and not have understanding or wisdom because you can't understand the world apart from the God who made it. To think you can understand anything apart from God, the author says, is foolish. How many, how many people you remember Owl Magazine? Dating myself some? Is Owl, Owl Magazine still a thing? No, yeah. Magazines aren't a thing, right? Okay, so if you remember the very back of Owl Magazine, there was this feature I loved. There was this, there would be like a picture of an object really zoomed in, detached from the rest of it, and you had to try to guess what that larger thing was based off of the really small part. You want to remember that? And, and you could never tell. You had to wait for the next magazine. This is how they got you hooked. And then you'd have to buy the next magazine to flip to the back and see what the bigger picture was to understand the part. Similarly, we can't have knowledge or wisdom or understanding apart from the bigger picture. Anywhere we might seek wisdom is under the jurisdiction and authority of God. Everything was made by him and for him. So wisdom is a thing that can only be understood when we understand the bigger picture of what all of these things were made for. So the book of Proverbs is going to prevent wisdom, present wisdom, pardon me, on a variety of topics. So money, parenting, marriage, work, and so forth. But all of those things were made by God. And so we can only rightly come to knowledge and understanding and wisdom when we understand their relation under God. Parenting is something God made. So if we want wisdom for parenting, you don't find it apart from God. You, you find it by going back to his design for it. Money, anything else. There's no definition of working wisely apart from a right understanding of what God created work for. That's why a fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so just as a parent, I can't help but think of this then. How about we to train our kids? We send them off to get wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And Proverbs is saying that can't take place apart from a right understanding of who God is. This is why we can't just relegate our, our, our education of our kids off to a, a different group. And I'm not saying everyone in the world needs to homeschool, but we do need to train our children in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. But what is that? What does this mean, fear of the Lord? Because that's a bit of a weird concept for many today, I think, to think of fearing the Lord. I got a quote from... Tremper Longman III. I don't think you can see his name because I'm blocking it. I love that name, though, right? Tremper. I've never met a tremper. I can't imagine a tremper going, 
I'm also going to name my kid Tremper. And then they want to name their, you get all the way down to like the third. Tremper Longman the third. he's a great theologian though. He said this, the verb, meaning the fear of, in fear of the Lord, the verb has a semantic range that goes from what might be called respect or awe to utter terror. Indisputable, however, is the basic present that to fear Yahweh is to stand in a subservient position to him, to acknowledge one's dependence on him. Within the context of knowledge, it's to recognize there's no true knowledge without reverence to him. To fear the Lord, it's a foreign concept to us today because, well, it doesn't get talked about much in the church. We think of God loving us and accepting us, but to fear God, it's a foreign concept. A couple reasons for this, I think. One is um, terrible worship, <laughs> to be frank. We are, you're going to be more theologically formed by our worship this morning than my sermon. Because the sermon comes along, or the, the music comes along with a melody, it embeds it in your head, and we learn things. And we've learned some terrible theology from some really poorly written theological songs that are going out modernly. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus told us to fear God. Culturally, we think of God as this guy who doles out hugs. The second place, the reason I think that we, we've kind of become divorced or, or um, maybe alienated from this way of understanding that we should fear God is that we divorce certain parts of God's character from one another. We don't understand how the love of God and the fear of God can go together, but they absolutely do. It's a big topic, and I think I've talked about it before, but... I love how C.S. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia brought them together in the character of Aslan. If you remember, the, the, I can't remember which of the, the children comes up to Aslan, and they said, he's, he's a good lion, but he's not a tame lion. That's those two characters together. He's not a tame god. We should not treat him like he is, but he is a good god. Um, I, I, had the, I got to pet a tiger once. Um, I remember going up, and it wasn't on a chain or anything. I had to walk up and pet this tiger. And it, 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 it was safe to pet this tiger. But at the same time, it's like, it was one of the most crazy, fearful experiences I've ever had in my life. Its back came up to here. That's a frightful thing. And I'm glad it didn't slash me apart. And it was a good tiger. But it's also not to be trifled with. You wouldn't smack it around like you would a house cat. You shouldn't smack around your house cat. But some of us... <laughs> Some of us are treating God like this. We treat the lion of Judah like he's a house cat. We can do whatever we want to him. We can't. To fear the Lord is to properly observe who he is, to acknowledge his supremacy over everything and rightfully subject ourselves to him in everything, to, to tread fearfully because of who he is. That's the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs tells us it's that, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And we need to see this because there is a war being waged over wisdom today. There's a war over wisdom. What God calls wisdom and what the book of Proverbs calls wisdom and what a lot of the voices in our culture would call wisdom, they're, they're different things. There's a war, and it's an ancient one. It began in a garden when God had created everything, ordered it, and it was well, and a serpent came along and offered an alternate form of wisdom. 
The sermon, or so the serpent, pardon me, countered the instruction God had given by calling into question the wisdom of God. And what did the serpent say? Shout it out, somebody. He came up to Adam and Eve and he said what? Did God really say? Then they ate of the tree of what? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Good and evil. Two different forms of knowledge. They'd only known good before. Now they knew evil. From now on, there was going to be a battle over what would be called true and wise, and that battle wages on right through to today. Let me ask, where do you go for wisdom? What are we calling wise? Have we bought into this deception of the serpent? Did God really say that? Is that really wise? Have we taken the fruit he's offering? Remember the outcome of that fruit. Destroyed God's good design instead of created it. There is a war over wisdom. But the fruits that, the wisdom, that these two forms of wisdom offer, they're very different. Proverbs says the same thing. Verse That's up on the screen, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Two forms of wisdom. This book is an appeal to hear and heed true wisdom and gain life as it was meant to be lived. This is what the, the wisdom, this is what Proverbs is offering. Life as God designed it to be. Life as it was meant to be lived. But I want to pose a question. <coughs> what if wisdom isn't just a concept or an idea? What if wisdom is a person? Isaiah 11 promises that the Messiah who would one day come would be the embodiment of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. And it picks up on all the language of Proverbs as it presents this. Isaiah 11, up on the screen, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. This Messiah who was promised to come would be the embodiment of wisdom. This is why 1 Corinthians 12 tells us Jesus is, his name is the wisdom of God. We see Jesus say at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, um, if you were with us in that series, he said, whoever keeps these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is the one who Matthew 12 calls greater than Solomon. He's the giver of true wisdom. Wisdom. He instructs his followers in this wisdom, the wisdom of the kingdom, the wisdom of how God created the world to run optimally. I asked us at the, at the beginning here where we're going, where we need wisdom. Now, now I want to tell you something. It's only in Jesus and through Jesus that you can find the wisdom that you need. It's only in Jesus that you can receive fully what the book of Proverbs offers, wisdom to live life as it was meant to be. And it's through the wisdom contained in Proverbs that followers of Jesus gain wisdom for life and can begin to walk in the way that God intends. Wisdom is a person. Jesus is wisdom personified, and it's through him we are free to live a life, live life the way it was designed to be. And so if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, the invitation of this book, Proverbs, that we're beginning, is to turn and follow in the wisdom of Jesus in every single area of your life, to bring every part of your life under the fear and instruction of the Lord, under his lordship, and 
to submit to the instructions that he's given us because he's for our good. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation to you today is the same. To turn and follow in wisdom from the one who made you and designed you and sent his son to die in your place that you could be reconciled to to him. And in order to do these things, it's going to necessarily involve that you and I acknowledge that we don't got this. The wisdom is not coming from within. We need it from outside, and there's no better place to go to than the one who is wisdom. I'm going to close with this saying from C.S. Lewis, and the band's going to come forward here. It says this, As long as you're proud, you can't know God. A proud man's always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. If you cannot admit your need, you cannot know God. And if you cannot admit your need for wisdom, you will find in Jesus, uh, you will not find wisdom. If you can admit your need, you will find in Jesus someone who is readily willing to give wisdom. And when you look at him, you will find that you not only grow wise, but that you are changed from the inside out. You will gain new life when we look to Christ. And when that takes place, there's only one thing that we can then do, which is worship. Worship.